Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Before we jump into our text, which is found in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, a couple of quick things. Number one, I want to continue to encourage you as a family to have your devotions together and use this little devotional book that we've given everybody and we'll already ordered for the next quarter. And, um, and I just want to really encourage you to do it as a family. And Daddy, I know most of you have never done it, but bite the bullet and try to lead your family in a, in a daily devotional. It'll do two, I can guarantee you that it'll do two things. It will strengthen your marriage and it will contribute to what we're trying to accomplish. You saw these five youngsters baptized, but the truth of the matter is we're going to lose over half of them, two thirds of them when they go to college if we aren't able to pull together what we want to do. Here's what our ultimate goal is. I'll tell you at a time. Our ultimate goal in all the changes that we're making here in education and other things, and we're not, we're not there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but we're heading in the direction to get to the place where these children that you see who were baptized and so enthusiastic about the Lord and the fellowship of the body of Christ, what we want to do is to equip them to the extent that when they go to college, they're not intimidated by the questions that are raised by liberal or unbelieving professors. They will already have been equipped to answer those questions and to go as evangelists there rather than to be intimidated by them. Going there to, to if you have a, a, a sweet mate, you're going there for the purpose, first of all, to lead them to Christ. And in the process of going there as an evangelist for Jesus Christ, you'll hope to also get a good education. So what we're doing is trying to turn that upside down. Now you go to get an education and hope they go to church once in a while. What we want to do is to, is to equip our young people to the extent that they become evangelists for Jesus Christ. And when they go to a liberal university or, an, or in an unbeliever's class, they go there to represent Jesus Christ. We can do that, but we have to have your cooperation, your prayerful support. And, uh, but that's the objective. I don't mind telling you, that's where we think we're headed. That's where we pray that God will help us to get our young people to that place. Instead of losing 7 out of 10, we want to keep 7 out of 10, and more if humanly possible. So that's what we're headed for. And by the way, just so you know, since we've got this coin thing up here for you to put your coins in, uh, in order per, to repair our parking lot, doing a third of it, you just take a third of it up and put it back down, and da-da-da-da-da, it's going to cost $11,500. As of this morning, we have over $8,500 in hand. So we just... Uh, so I, we're going to get there, and, uh, and it'll be done uh, whenever the people who know what they're talking about say that uh, it's dry enough. And uh, that may be after the second coming. I don't know the way the weather has been. So, but anyway, that's the direction we're going. I'm of the opinion that the last two of the Ten Commandments 
may be the ones we break more than any. This one is a, is a simple one, but, uh, but it covers a lot of territory and probably affects every one of us at one time or another. Matthew's going to wrap it up next week with not to covet. My mother used to tell us, well, we don't covet what our neighbor has. We just like to have one just like it, which is a clever way of avoiding what is obvious. Uh, we all have a tendency in a materialistic world like we live to raise, grow up coveting things, and, and we have to outgrow that, with, and, that. And that's a spiritual power that's magnificent if you can ever achieve it, not easily achieved. And neither is this one, because it has to do with governing the tongue. And probably that may be the biggest challenge that all of us have. In fact, when you go over to the book of James in the New Testament, he says that the tongue is like a rudder on a boat. It, uh, it, it guides the whole boat. And, 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 govern, and getting that thing under control is only accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of parents and the encouragement of believers. It is not an easy task. And uh, it covers such things as gossip. It covers such, and, and it establishes some, some guidelines that few, if any of us, have ever really given credence to, even though the Bible is abundantly clear about how it's to be handled. It just simply says in the ninth commandment, found in two places in the Old Testament. It's in the 20th chapter of, of the book of Exodus where I'll be reading. It's also found the second time in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the repeating of the law or the second giving of the law. And it's in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy. It reads simply like this. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Jesus answered the question of who your neighbor is. It's really everybody in the body of Christ, wherever you find them or anybody that you know. The Bible in the Old Testament speaks to this subject numerous times, and we don't have time to deliver that this morning to deal with all of them. I selected one and put it in your notes. From, and it's often, there's at least three or four instances in the book of Proverbs. This one simply says that there are seven things that are detestable to the Lord. And he lists one of them as being a false witness that pours out lies and a man who stirs up dissension among brethren. There are, this is repeated time and time again because it was a constant problem for Israel and it's a continuing problem in the church today. The problem you, you see if with the, in the American church, it's totally different in Europe. Nobody goes to church hardly in Europe at all. Seldom ever. You can throw a hand grenade in most church buildings and all you're going to do is get splinters. You're not going to hurt anybody. There isn't anybody there. And, and that's socialism is a... Is a competitor of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we speak out against it so often. Now, this, this reference to speaking against uh, false witnessing is the basis of a lot of what we have in our court system today. A lot of the American court system was taken directly from the Old Testament, some from the New. 
And so it becomes the basis for everything. You know, it used to be that God was welcomed in the courtroom. You know, everyone that was sworn in as a witness was to say, you know, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Today we leave off the so help me God. It's been dropped. It's chased out of the schoolroom, chased out of the courtroom. They don't want it on the they don't want God's name on any public facility. The Ten Commandments have been a source of, of contention among the uh, the anti-Christians uh, for now several years. They don't want them to show up in any way, shape, or form on, on uh, public property. But nonetheless, you and I, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, have a responsibility to do what God has directed us to do if we're going to be a positive influence for the kingdom of God. He urges us to use truth as a filter for everything that we do, whether it's in the courtroom, whether it's in daily conversation, in a classroom, wherever we are, truth. Now, uh, you know, our culture today doesn't like truth very well. We've been told that there is no such thing as, there is absolutely no such thing as absolute truth, which is a contradiction in the terms in itself. But we've been told that. We, movies address the, the subject all the time. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate looked at him and said, What is truth? Or did you see, for those of you who like movies, you may have seen this little clip from A Few Good Men. Here's what it looked like, if you recall. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now, the question for you is, can you handle the truth? Because it makes us uncomfortable when we start talking about the things that we know we have done wrong. And in this particular realm, we all can be are, are found guilty. Let's, just, let's look what he says in the 23rd chapter of the book of Exodus, these first five, when he talks about truth in the law, in the law, uh, court of law. Our oldest son was recently sworn in in the judgeship uh, out in Denver, and he, we were talking about, he said, if you want to see world-class liars, you ought to go to the courtroom. That's when they're really good. He said, we even pay lawyers good money to teach them how to. And, and, and I kind of stayed out of that because three of my kids studied law. But here's what he said in starting verse 23. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And when you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. In other words, you can expect whether it's in a courtroom or in business or wherever you are, you can expect at times to receive pressure to at least indicate something that isn't necessarily the truth as you know it to be. The Bible, and when we go over to the book of Deuteronomy in the 17th chapter, he tells us this. He says, not only do you filter, the truth, filter whatever you say or testify to with the truth, but you want it so that if, any, if it's spread around at all, and, it, and you know that it's going to, he says this, if it's a serious issue, and if it affects 
somebody else's livelihood or their reputation. It's a serious issue. So he says here in verses 6 and 7 that the government has, the Bible gives government, civil government, the capacity to execute capital punishment. But the guidelines for it being done are very clear in the Bible. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 17, 6. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. That's he says, she says, back, back and forth. And now here was the other thing that, that really makes this tough. Because they usually exercise capital punishment by stoning people to death. The verse 7 says, The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death. Now you know what? I can agree that the government has the power to execute evildoers. But if I had to flip the switch, there probably no one would ever die. If I had to do the injection, probably no one would ever die. I can agree that the government has that, but I personally, I do not think that I'm capable of taking another person's life, even if I know that they're guilty. Matthew has an unfortunate thing. He's he, uh, one of the young men that he thinks was kind of innocent because of some other reasons, found guilty is to die, and he has requested that Matthew be there as a witness. Uh, tough assignment, tough assignment, but he told him that he would. That's uh, a rough road to hold. We should also be really, really careful when we talk about other people. This, of course, is reference to gossip. I don't believe that any story should be repeated that you haven't actually seen what took place or two or three other, at least two other people have seen it. Never take it, never repeat a story that is given to you when there's only one person telling it. Just don't do it. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told not even to listen to it unless there are more than one witness that saw what took place. That's to eliminate gossip. Gossip is a terrible thing. as a tongue out of control. Here in verse 15 of chapter 19, it starts off by saying this, One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense that he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two and preferably three witnesses. So anything that we tell that could hurt somebody's reputation or could smear them or slander them because Satan is a slanderer and a liar himself and if we're not awfully careful, we find ourselves doing his work for him. And so we need to understand that we need to take great care and use some wisdom in anything that we repeat regarding someone else. Now, I think it's important that we look at two sides of this coin. We look, we're going to look at the damage that can be done by false testimony, but we need to look at the blessings that are done when we tell the truth. Especially, but the truth itself, the truth itself needs to be wrapped in a package because the truth that hurts somebody should not be repeated. The truth that blesses somebody is something we should encourage. I would like to start 
and, and I think we're getting to the place where it would be helpful because as the congregation grows, we're looking at doubling in the next five years. What we're looking at is, is what we're talking about encouraging is that we start interviewing different people in the congregation and listen to them give their testimony, which is a witness to their faith. Talk a little bit more about that. The Bible is very clear when you go here in the book of Deuteronomy, go back to the sixth chapter, and it tells, he's talking to Israel. He's saying, look, you guys were in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. And while you were there, instead of you being a positive influence on them, they were a negative influence on you. But if you will obey the guidelines that I've given you for the kingdom of God, you're going to be greatly blessed. Now, we fuss here about the preachers who what, what we call uh, health and wealth, that guarantee, because that's really not in the New Testament, but it is in the Old Testament, and those health and wealth guys go to the Old Testament. And when God was saying, if I'm your king, here's what I'll do for you if you're obedient. That's what he was really saying. Now, later on, Israel said, we want a, a king with flesh on. That's when they really messed up. They had God as their king. And they traded him in for a big old guy who was not worth the powder to blow him to kingdom come. Big guys always get the best breaks. I've been, that's been one of my areas of weakness, bad-mouthing the big guys. And if you're a little point guard in basketball and you go underneath and you shoot up through an umbrella, you know what I'm talking about. Well, we better get back to this. Now, in verses 2 and 3 here, of chapter 6, he's, here's what he starts talking about. Here are the blessings that come from using your tongue to be a blessing rather than being a, a, a bad mouth. Here's what he says. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey so that you may, it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So what he's saying is you will live longer by being obedient. I, can I put in a plug for preachers? Do you know, do you know as a rule, who outlives their insurance as a regular rule, which profession? Yeah. So if you're a preacher, you better get some long-term, full-life stuff because if you don't, you're going to outlive it. And now they don't want me to have any kind of insurance except the kind that will allow William to bury me free. I mean, I prepay it. You know, that's the only kind of insurance they, that, they, that they'll sell me now. I mean, I'll be 82 in, in September, and they come out and they say, here's a real, I get it in the mail once a month, here's a real deal for you, full life insurance that will bury you. I really don't want to talk about that. I got other things I'd rather talk about than my funeral. Now, so let's move on. So he says, you're, gonna, you're going to live longer. Why? Because you're going to live a cleaner life. It's that simple. You know, don't smoke, don't smoke, drink or chew, or run around with those who do. That's, that's, uh, uh, yeah. 
Now, the other thing that he tells them is this. This is, you go back to chapter 5, it's kind of interesting. In verses, what, 32 and 33, I believe it is, uh, he says this, You not only live longer because you live a clean life and because I'm going to bless you, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you to do. Don't turn from a side to the right or to the left. Walk in the ways the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long, prosper, and prolong your days in the land that you possess. Now, most of you don't understand. Most of you don't. Some of you will. Because we have some people here who are 90 years old. So you'll understand. But if you knew where Ralph and I came from, see, we both grew up in stark poverty. And if you don't know what that's like, I can't explain it to you so you would understand it. But because early in life, both of us gave our life to Christ and have done nothing else really in life except promote Jesus, we, we have prospered. Ralph said that when he moved up the hill... In a, in a, that he was actually bad-mouthed by some of the black folks because he was moving on up. Hey, I hope he makes it to the top of the hill, you know. He does too. Yeah, that was... You know, and, and Alice Kay and I, and, uh, and Ralph has traveled with us to Europe, uh, to uh, Israel, to eat to Africa, to Egypt... I've been in over 38 countries in my lifetime so far. And I'm looking forward to a few more. We have prospered. And at the same time, compared to what we grew up with, we would now be considered to be wealthy. I have in my office that I look at periodically and try to show to my children, but they're too dumb to get it in their head. I guess they get it from their mother's side of the house. I don't know. Because I keep saying, I'll hear about that, by the way. And anyway, anyway, I have one of the, the, our tax returns that mother filled out after we had purchased a little farm. We bought 128 acres for $12,500 and took a while to pay it off. Daddy had the $500. We drove a 32 Model A Ford. And the story is rather lengthy, so I'm going to drop it at that. But I can tell you this, that from our point, from our point of view and from Ralph's point of view, because we talk about it a lot, God has greatly blessed us way beyond what we dreamed we'd ever see or do when we were children growing up in poverty. And I'm telling you that God has a tendency to bless people who serve him and love him, whether you're a preacher or not. You can be a godly ditch digger and God will bless you just as much as he does us. And you need to get that straight in your head. God wants to bless you, but it's conditional. It is a covenant relationship where he requires obedience. Let's move on. He not only said that he would do that, but he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. If you obey me, and this is actually in the, in the 25th chapter verse here, and this is a kind of a tough one. 
of the sixth chapter Deuteronomy, he says, And if we are careful to obey all the law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that he will, that he will use that to declare us righteous. I mean, do you know what righteousness means? That you have a healthy relationship with God himself. You have a right relationship with God. See, as Christians in the New Testament, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, because you've obeyed him and repented of your sins and been baptized like these youngsters were this morning in obedience to the teachings of the New Testament, when you've done these things and then you seek to know him better and develop your relationship with him, he says that he is going to, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, declare that you are righteous. Now, you know what that means? It means that when you die and you come up before the judgment bar of God, you will not be judged on the things that you did here on earth, but you will be judged according to what Jesus did on the cross. He will see you through the lens of looking at Jesus and say, because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be judged on his life. He lived a perfect life. You got it made in the shades, folks, when you seek to follow Jesus Christ. It's more than just showing up at church. Showing up at church is to equip you to go out into the world and let the world see what happens when you seek the Lord. And we need to encourage each other that way. We need to use our tongue for a positive influence on each other rather than to cut the other guy down to size. Not only that, but here in the seventh chapter, at verse 15, and I'm not going to read it. I'm going to quickly have to move on because the clock is moving. And, and, and so he simply says this, not only will your obedience cause you to be declared righteous when you seek the Lord, but he's going to give you protective custody. He's going to look at, he said this to Israel, he said, you know all those diseases that you picked up while you were down in Egypt because they lived in the land of Goshen. Goshen is right where the Nile River forms the delta that goes into this, the Mediterranean Sea. Guess what happens there? mosquitoes big enough that you'd have to have a, a jet plane to shoot them down. I mean, they were everywhere, and so malaria was everywhere. We have a friend from, um, from uh, Uganda who has stayed with us, from, and, and she has periodic spells with malaria. I mean, her head feels like it's as big as a, as a beach ball, and her body is ache and sweat and fever. It's a horrible disease. It's a horrible thing. And, and these people, had, they had malaria. They had all kinds of venereal diseases because of what they went through there while they were slaves. And God is saying, look, you come away from me and you obey me, and I'm going to protect you from that kind of foolishness, the, the diseases that the Egyptians had. That's a wonderful blessing because today probably the biggest, probably the biggest and the most difficult problem that the politicians have is how to deal with health insurance. It's a big problem. Nobody has an answer. Not really. You know, you have the goofballs who say that, uh, that the rich people should pay for it so everybody can have it. Then the country goes broke and nobody has it. And, and, and so that's one idiotic idea. The other idea is, uh, over here is that you have insurance that nobody can afford. It's just a problem that we don't have an answer for. But God said, you won't need insurance because I'm going to take care of you. That's a better deal, and the price is right, you know. So we better think carefully about that. I can't remember, I can't remember the last time 
that I was really sick. I've been sick at heart, but physically sick, I get tired, you know. Amy gave me a sweatshirt, that, I mean a t-shirt that is really good. It says, I love Jesus and naps. Naps are really therapeutic. Let me pass it on to about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. A nap on the couch is, is, is better than a raise in Social Security. Now, let's quickly move on. The New Testament believers, the New Testament believers are to assume that in the church, which is a mixed multitude, there are believers here, there are unbelievers here, there are people caught in between, it's a mixed multitude. Israel was a mixed multitude. The church is a mixed multitude. It always has been, always will be until the second coming of Christ. But he says this, you who are spiritual people, you who have grown in the Lord, you have matured in the Lord, have a responsibility to obey your spiritual leaders. And that's spelled out in, in, in because we're not going to tell you anything that we, that, that we tell you if we don't think it's going to be a benefit to you. Our job is to look out for you, to overlook and, and, and try to help you. And, here, and, and it says, here's what you're to do, because we're looking out for your welfare. You are to support us and listen to us and pray for us. He says, obey your leaders and submit to their testimony. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. We will be held accountable. Obey them so that their work may be a joy. I like joy. Not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And Then he goes on and says, so pray for us. So pray for us in verse uh, 18. And, and, and then he goes on in, in, in uh, 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter, and says this. If anybody tells you a tale on a church leader, if somebody tells you a tale about Ralph, and there aren't two or three witnesses that saw it, you're not even to listen to it. In fact, not only do you not listen to it, you defend him. And say, I don't believe it. If Produce the witnesses. And that's to be true of, of, of all of us in positions of leadership because we're, we live in a world who likes to see people who are fairly successful or who are leaders, we like to see them brought down. That's a sick thing. It's a sick thing, but our society is sick in a lot of different ways. But if you look carefully, here, I mean, it's, as, it's so clear that a man, though he be blind, deaf, and dumb, cannot err therein. And what he tells us here, it's in the fifth chapter, verse 19, when he says this, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. It's, entertain means don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Most of the problems that churches have is brought on by idle gossip, most, most of which is untrue. Now then, let's move on because let's look at the, quickly the damage because I've only got three or four minutes here. The damage that's done by false witnessing. The damage that's done. Biblically speaking, do you remember Joseph was, uh, was sold into, into <coughs> excuse me, slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him. And ultimately, he, entered, he was in a rich man's house, a guy's named Potiphar. But Potiphar had a wife who had the hots for young men. I was told last night I shouldn't say that. The fact of the matter is, Joseph was in a house with a woman who had the hots for him. That's the way it was. And so he was having a heart. He was trying to be 
fair to his boss, but she caught him with the boss gone one day, her husband gone, and she caught him and, and said, you know, come to bed with me. And he took off running like any smart guy would. And she grabbed onto his coat. And when her husband came home, she said, look here, I grabbed this coat because he was trying to seduce me. He ended up in jail. False accusations have terrible results. She lied like a horse running off because she couldn't get her weight. When Jesus came before the Sanhedrin, and this is very clearly stated in the 26th chapter of Matthew, Jesus, the scripture says, as God in the flesh was the only person that ever lived who was without sin because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and being God in the flesh, that's the way it turned out. But when he stood before the Sanhedrin, now the Sanhedrin was kind of like a, uh, a senate for the Israeli folks. Seventy folks usually uh, of power and influence ran the Sanhedrin. They were like the politicians of today. They were frightened of anybody who had more power than they had. If you want to know why the politicians in Washington badmouth Facebook all the time, Facebook has two and a half billion followers. They have more. They have potentially more influence than uh, than Congress does, and so they want to bring them down to size, and they will probably. They probably will because they have the authority to do that. But it's it's a jealous of influence. When Jesus was here, his followers became so vocal and so many that the Sanhedrin became jealous and they wanted to get rid of him. They've always done that. People are either, sin is either related to sex, money, or power. This one was power. And so they were after him. And here's what that 26th chapter says, and then we'll get to the conclusion here in about a minute. It says, uh, starting at verse, what, 59, I guess it is. Hocus pocus. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This is the fellow that says, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Jesus was really, when in a sermon, did say that. But he was talking about his resurrection. He wasn't talking about tearing down that big old building but they took it and twisted it to to get it to say what they wanted to and the fact was jesus just sat and took it but and and and, but it ended up being the uh, enough false evidence that was accepted as a fact that led to his crucifixion now before we take up our bed and walk i want you to look carefully at the last thing i put there This witnessing thing has a positive thing for you and me. You and I are supposed to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the scripture gives us that responsibility. It isn't if you want to. It is, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put him in your body if you believe in Jesus. I'm going to give God's power in you for the singular purpose of testifying to who Jesus is. Here's the way he says it. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, where this is the beginning of the church. The Old Testament and the Gospels are all before the church started. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The four Gospels are the ministry of Christ. And then the church starts on Pentecost. And here's what he said for those who 
uh, were added to the church. It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set of his own authority for uh, the kingdom of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, he's saying you are to use your tongues that naturally are used for gossip and a lot of things, bad words, all that kind of stuff. You're to use them as a testimony of what Jesus has done for you. That's why I want us to do, do some filming of, of individual families with their testimony of what the Lord's doing in your life so that we'll all get comfortable doing that so that our kids when they go to go to college will be comfortable doing that I'm telling you folks if and when the time comes that we as Peter said are prepared all of us are prepared to give an answer for the faith that we that lies within us if and when we do that if and when we're known as people who not only by words testify to the lordship of Jesus Christ, but live a life that testifies to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you will see an awakening come across our country that we've dreamed of forever. You will see the fear that we have of, of going thing down the drain. You will see, if God then lifts again the hedge. I think God took the hedge of protection down on 9-11. When, when, as a result of us saying, God, you get out of our lives, I think he lowered it, and, and we saw what happens when God's protective custody is removed. If he again puts that hedge around this country as a result of us obeying the Lord, serving the Lord, testifying to the Lord, you will see an awakening across our city, across our county, across our community that will make this the desired place to live in the whole cockeyed United States. Now that can happen. And it comes through obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, my time is up. I'm done. Say amen. We'll pray. God bless us. Go with us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to go. Hit the bucket hard. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.